As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to use artificial intelligence to be sustainably operational? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Welcome to episode 13 of the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This episode, we have Danielle Resek of Ataraya Inc. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Ataraya Inc. is making shrimp the future of protein. Danielle Rosek wanted to show the shrimp aquaculture industry that it is possible to feed the world with healthy food while respecting our human and natural environment. He is Ataraya Inc.'s founder and CEO with a mission, using technology and a market-oriented perspective to shrink our ecological footprint with a solid foundation in economics augmented by hands-on experience in business analytics, software systems, and business model creation. If you listen to our last episode, we have Denise McDonald of Urchinomics talk about their blue carbon credits and global branding in urchin aquaculture. Welcome again to the show, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's get this interview started. So I wanted to ask you first, what got you into the aquaculture industry, specifically shrimp? It's a long story. It started 17 years ago when I was on my last year of college, studying majoring in economics. I was the president of the student council of my university, and I've been known as a city boy. But there was a hurricane that hit this area. I'm right now talking from Oaxaca, Mexico, from one of its beautiful beaches. And that hurricane led us to start basically a response aid program from the university. We collected food and money and different stuff, and we decided to take it here. And we got connected with a foundation that had on-the-ground activity, and they helped us logistically, bringing us to different communities. And this was my first contact with fishermen and with the fishing industry and with the seafood industry. So long story short, I decided to start a foundation, an NGO, to work on basically economic productivity of these communities. So I decided that I wanted to basically work on that. So I focused 100% of my time on that and building projects and connecting young people from private universities in Mexico with these kinds of projects in these kind of communities. But we quickly realized that there was basically no point in helping these communities to increase their productivity in terms of catching more. 
because the problem was the resource that they were depending on, which was its fisheries, wild fisheries, was not really growing. And this is, of course, because of overcatch and basically over extraction of the resources that are in the ocean. So this is why I came about with aquaculture. So then we switched our focus to work on aquaculture projects. We hired some technicians and advisors from the north of Mexico, where there is a mature and real aquaculture activity. Here in Oaxaca, there is none. So we hired people from over there. And we quickly realized the shortcomings of traditional aquaculture, shrimp farming in particular. The first one was how the reaction of financial institutions, uh, was trained as an economist, so the first people I talked to were basically financial people. And most of them told me, oh, I will never invest in anything related to shrimp farming. Why? Well, because of disease. So basically, shrimp live in a never-ending pandemic. There is always a new disease that is decimating stocks everywhere. So then I learned that shrimp farming is exposed to this existential threat. And then I started to ask questions, why? So what's the root of this problem? And on the other hand, I realized at that time, sustainability was not even a thing. So nobody talked about sustainability, but everybody talked about ecology, no? so ecological impact. So I was lucky to have on my board at least one time the former minister of Mexico for environmental protection, her name is Julia Carabias. And we presented her with a whole project for shrimp farming, and we thought that we had everything nailed. But then she asked me, do you want to be the prick that wants to destroy, that wants to bring this destructive activity to this otherwise pristine environment? And that kept me thinking. And she advised us to look for not what it was being done, but for what it could be done. So we decided to turn to innovation. So this was in 2009. The hurricane was in 2005. So I was already four years in. So then we switched from NGO to a startup. So we basically, and our investment thesis was to basically look for the technology that will power this industry in the coming decades. And aquaculture, as most people that are interested in the industry know, like Peter Drucker said in 2002, that it was aquaculture, not the internet, that presented the most attractive economic opportunity for the 21st century. He was wrong, at least until now. And then the question was, why? And if he's onto something, and I think that he was onto something because the seafood demand for the protein is the fastest growing protein choice of demand. So it's a protein demanded in the world. So the market is there. The problem is supply. And we know that the current way that uh, aquaculture works, which basically relies on cheap land, cheap labor, no environmental regulation, no care for even humanitarian and labor. I mean, you have slaves in aquaculture sometimes, right? So that cannot be the way that the industry will move forward in this century. So our question was how? What is the technology that will power this industry forward? So we started working with uh, different species, with marine species, with, with snook, which in Mexico you can grow snook, snapper, tilapia, shrimp. And then we decided to focus on shrimp. So we worked basically on multi-trophic systems, aligning them to their trophic level, using the same water to feed them and basically create like a small ecosystem. But we decided to focus on shrimp and to focus on bioflow because these two problems, the disease and the environmental problem, comes from basically the same source, which is 
water exchange. So that was my story. That leads me to my second question. I always fascinated with people who actually has a business background and in your case, an economics background, and that's really helping the industry solve problems that has been, I guess, decades has not been addressed. So it's just fascinating when you were talking about really starting because of the hurricane that happened, that NGO that led to your startup and really focus on just innovation and just actually having your own niche in the biotech, which is my next question. It's also special. Not only you have a business mindset, but you have a digital mindset and an early adapter in artificial intelligence. So maybe you can share with our audience, what are some of the opportunities and challenges being in biotech software and automation? Yeah. So, and actually this on parallel, while I was doing the NGO, I needed a little bit more income. So as a side gig, I worked as a business analytics consultant. And there we did some papers, some white papers for a big company that employs many people about the future of work and about innovation. So, so I have used this template from Everett Rogers that talks about the fusion of innovation. So if we have a company that is basically aiming for nailing the technology that will power this industry forward, then we also need to think about what's going to drive change. So we need to basically show an innovation. There are many innovations like every day, and most of them die off because they don't get to enough people. Nobody sees the real progress. So this is why we focused on Bioflock because Bioflock is really a game changer. And fundamentals of it, it's basically... We're taking a problem that is for any aquaculture and anyone that has ever had a fish tank has the same problem, which is the, the nitrogen cycle. So you have a fish tank. After so many days, the water gets green. Why does it get green? Because as the fish is metabolizing protein, it's basically metabolizing nitrogen in the form of ammonia. This ammonia is a fertilizer. There is algae, microalgae floating around everywhere, populates the water column. And this is why your water gets green. So when I was nine years old, my mom would tell me, clean that messy fish tank, please. So I would basically take the water, dump it into the toilet and bring new water. So that in aquaculture is called water exchange. And a thousand hectare shrimp farm does exactly what I was doing as a nine-year-old producer at a large scale has exactly the same problem, which is dealing with nitrogen. In the case of the farm, it doesn't care if the water gets green, but after a certain threshold, it becomes toxic. So after a certain concentration, it, it becomes toxic. So nature has dealt with this problem for millions of years and evolved basically a bacteria that turns this nitrogen into protein. So it takes care basically of the water quality. So this is beautiful. It's very neat. I think it's a very fancy way to deal with the problem, no? elegant way to deal with the problem. What is the cost? Complexity. Because now, you're turning aquaculture into a biochemical endeavor in which you need to basically have an ecosystem imbalance. So that is not easy because you need to consider many variables and many workflows and there are interactions and the whole dynamics, it's a problem. This is why you need basically PhDs or basically graduate people to manage these operations. It's difficult for a human, but it's not that difficult for a computer. This is how software comes into play because we basically decided to map all the macro processes. And to my knowledge, we are the only company that have mapped all the macro processes and all the workflows and protocols involved in shrimp farming, which is over 95 right now. So 95 things you need to do in order to grow shrimp from the broodstock to basically harvest, right? 
So there are four macro processes. That is rootstock, larvae culture, nursery, and grow out. So we mapped this. We drew all the interactions and all the variables that are involved. And not only that, but also all the skills that are involved into executing this program and this protocol. And we decided what is going to be the role of future farmers that they will play. So out of 95 protocols, we need to only teach about eight, sometimes 11 protocols. That basically gives you the training and the technology package that you need to share with other people. And software is very important because what we did is that we mapped this into a software, we programmed the protocols and turned them into algorithms. And also we designed hardware to basically sense all the data and then a cloud-based system, it's interpreting this data and it's making a decision. And that decision, it's, it's coming back to an automated hardware that is doing most of the tasks and the tasks that would be a waste of time to try to automate, those go to the human. So then the human needs only to learn to take care of our hardware, which is a shrimp box. We call this shrimp box. And they don't need to learn how to grow shrimp. So then the technology is easier to share. And the software plays a key role in which we don't need to train many managers and have experts and basically have them four or five years with on-the-field experience with our technology to really be able to start a new farm. So in our case, the first thing that we did in Indianapolis was to turn a warehouse from just being a simple warehouse into a shrimp farm and harvest within six months. And that is our standard. We want to do that everywhere in the world. And software, it basically gives us agility, consistency, and basically enabling growth. Wonderful. Very, very impressive, Danielle. And I was going to ask you that same question. So the way that to our listeners, just to give you a little bit of background with Shrimp Box, I actually really love the way that you play on words on that because it's based on technology. So I was thinking actually of Sandbox. So originally when I saw actually your press release, I thought this was like metaverse related because I was talking to another person in France who actually were collaborating to create an aquaverse, but they are doing sea sponges. So I thought that this Shrimp Box was more along those lines, but really impressed when I saw how it actually works. So the hard Hardware is the one that's for sale and it's like vertical farming. And then it's basically all automated so that all the processes has already been done. So they didn't have to do it anything manually. Is that correct? Well, they will need to make something manually. Yes. I think that the frontier for automation would be around 85%. The other 15% doesn't make sense. I mean, we humans are really, really capable of doing many things. But yes, but we are using all the tools that we can get our hands on, like automatic feeders, light, for instance, the circadian rhythm of the shrimp. We are controlling it with different lights and also that controls the algae. Also, the computer vision we're using, we're developing tools for computer vision so that it makes it easier and faster to measure the shrimp, but also to see if there's something wrong with them in terms of stress. So we are trying to use all the tools that we can have, some high-tech some low-tech, like for instance, insulation. Insulation is pretty low-tech, but it's very, very, very important. It's quite, Right now, our cost of production is about 40% lower than any other urban aquaculture enabling technology, right? Basically, recirculating aquaculture systems. So right now, our cost of production is about 40% lower than that. We have a map of what exactly we need to do in order to take that cost even 40% lower. And most of that comes from low-tech solutions. For instance, getting rid of the warehouse 
simplifying even more. That's more high tech, but also improving the energy efficiency, right? And improving the land utilization. So for instance, we are this year, we are really going vertical. Right now, our farm is only one level, but we will use basically the ability of the structure of the shipping container, which you can stack nine, we will use that in order to stack maybe not nine, but maybe three or four, so that we can go really vertical. With that, we will save a lot on land use or warehouse use. Wonderful. And so just on the business side of things, I know that you guys were also able to raise funds in May last year and was able Mm -hmm. to do first harvest six months after that. So just for our people who's probably interested in investing in shrimp bucks, what would you say is the minimum investment? What is their rate of return? And all these numbers that I know as an economics, you already know. (laughs) Yeah. So we consider the minimum viable farm of 20 shrimp boxes, which would give you around 850 to a million dollars investment, depending on where you are. I think that all farms should basically aspire to get to at least 100 shrimp boxes. And that's interesting because with 100 shrimp boxes, you can serve about 50 restaurants. If you live in a city or you live in a town where you have cities with about 50 fancy restaurants that have shrimp on the menu, then you're in the right location for, for shrimp boxes. And we decided to start in Indianapolis because Indianapolis is land, it's landlocked. It's very cold. I mean, I think in the morning it was something like minus 12 degrees or something like that. So if we can do it there, then it's going to be way easier in Florida that looks pretty much like Oaxaca, right? And the return on investment, even considering the case of Indianapolis, which will be among the most expensive ones, is about 17% return investment for 20 shrimp boxes. And it climbs up to 24%. Or 100 shrimp boxes. So that changes with scale. Great numbers because I know most of the aquaculture species normally range between 6 to 10%. So 17% for 20 shrimp boxes that climbs up to 24% or 100 is a really big jump. So my last question is, what's your secret sauce in transforming the ocean farming industry into one of the best aquaculture companies in the industry? Plug and play. It's really the manufacturing. So the, the fact that we don't need to design, I've built farms some farms for fish for shrimp it's a health project because you need custom engineering you need contractors you need to have the main installation the electricity the hydraulics everything has to come in place at the right time so from a construction point of view it's very complex so we realized that and doing it in mexico is one thing and doing it in america it's a completely another thing because you just move one chair and it's a thousand dollars but here in Mexico, then we can manufacture these at a, basically a factory and we can send our shrimp boxes ready to use. And then it's a very easy process, right? And then the barrier of entry is very low for people that want to come in. You just really need only curiosity and the right attitude, and then you can become a shrimp farmer. I also like that. So you don't need a fancy diploma. You don't need to have a lot of experience doing this and this and that. If you want to learn and you want to hard work, and we've been very lucky in our farm, we have experts from Oaxaca working with local hushers from Indianapolis, and they're amazing, right? So that's what we should strive for. I think that's what meritocracy looks like when you only need the right attitude and willingness to work. I really like that. 
I asked this question many times and it's the first time somebody tells plug and play, which is really very timely <laughs> in this digital decade that we live in. Well, thank you very much again for your time, Danielle. The biggest takeaway that I have from our conversation was when you were talking about really making your operations effective with this mapping of the microprocesses. From 95, you actually really only need eight to 11 of them to make it functional. So I think a lot of the aquaculture companies forget to do this on how to make their operations effective. So maybe part of your diversification would be selling this unique method that you created for other species, because I'm sure a lot of aquaculture companies will love to streamline their processes. So how can they get in touch with you? My email is daniel at ataraya.ai, but I think that the best is to reach out on our website. So on our website, they have a way at www.ataraya.ai. Ataraya is A-T-A-R-R-A-Y-A dot AI. You will have them some resources. There's a webinar where we explain what's up with Trendbox and where are the economics. We go very much in depth. I think that we will record another one because this is basically too long. It's like one hour and a half. So in the coming months, we'll have more. So we will have things to share around June, July. So maybe we can contact you again and tell your audience about it. That would be great. And I'm going to Mexico. I live in Puerto Vallarta for a year, but I'm visiting during the spring break. So maybe I'll have a separate trip to Oaxaca and then see your farms there firsthand. Let me know. I of will. I definitely, yeah. And obviously, we'll your technology is very welcome here in Canada. If you're looking for cold places, I think we qualify in that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Where are you located? In Vancouver Island. I'm on the west coast of Canada. Wow. Yes. I've heard so beautiful things about Vancouver Island. Okay, well, we will <laughs> I, I, get in touch. To All right. <laughs> yes, we will. Our next episode, we have the editor of Hatchery International, Gene Codin, and co-host of the RAS Tech Podcast. To our listeners, I hope you will join me on the next episode, and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture. Thanks again, Danielle. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Lunas. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.